As we go into the word today, we're going to start with a poem. Our theme this week is diversity, the black family diversity, our last uh, message in this Black History Month series. Diversity. And today, I would like to begin with a poem. And I've titled this, The Colors of Soil. The Colors of Soil. Lord, as you reach down into the rich, dark soil of the earth, you imprinted your image and called him man. You reached into man, removed a rib, an extension of the soil within, and called her woman. The dust of the earth, our beginning and our end. The dust of the earth, so rich in colors that blend. Found across the great deserts and plains, bauxite, red, yellow, gold, terracotta, beige, brown, and tan. Pink shades of gray, white are the colors of the soil from whence we came. Mountain ranges so beautiful, the product of soils of granite, limestone, all varieties of textures of earth, colors of the rainbow from the sand and silt and minerals thousands years old, symbols of the earth from which we came. Sandy beaches and coral reefs in every color known to man, we find our place among the colors of the soil in every land. May we be reminded of the color of the soil from which we came. Black, brown, tan, red, shades unexplained. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, our beginning and end until in Christ we are created again. Today the question is, Will we truly have unity in this world? Or are we so divided that we can't even understand ourselves? You know, diversity is the essence of life. Without diversity, life will be dull and flat and unexciting, boring. Can you imagine the disaster if we all looked alike? You know, I know the answer to that. Most of us want to, everyone to look the same, don't we? But we are not the same. We shouldn't be the same. God didn't make the flowers all the same. Some of us like roses, some like sunflowers, some like lilies, and some like daffodils. And God, in his wonderful genius, never created or designed everything to be exactly the same. Not even the snowflakes are the same. And we know in theory that this whole universe is created with such precision and masterpiece that we know that there is a creator and a designer. We know that because we have all seen it for ourselves. We know that this is not a mistake. God did not just put people on the earth to look different 
because of genetic mutations or because it's an error. Oh, we're so beautiful, except that we just don't know it. And if we only understood that we were created in God's image, oh, we would appreciate ourselves and each other. In many ways, we are all the same. We are all the same. We may not be packaged in the same way, have the same temperaments or the same personalities, but in essence, we're all created equally in the image of God. Our skin color may be different. That makes us unique. But you know, the mixes of the race is nothing new. Truth be told, we're not really mixed. We're one race. One race. The human race. Luke records Paul's preaching in Athens on Mars Hill. And Paul was trying to let the people know that they are all the same. They came from one God. And this unknown God that they built this, um, this altar to that they didn't know his name, his name was Yahweh, the one God, the true God. And Paul went further to let them know that from one ancestor, in some translations it says one blood, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they will live so that they will search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For in him, God, we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your poets have said, for we too are his offspring, Acts 17. Paul is trying to say to these people in Athens, we are all God's offspring. This God that you think is an unknown God is the creator of all things. And not only that, we live in him, we move in him, and we have our whole being and existence in this God. Amen. Which means we're all brothers and sisters because we're all created by this one God. In every discussion that is common in the social, political arena, and even in the church, you and I will ultimately find ourselves situated on the margins of some group because in many ways we don't really belong in any particular group because we're all uniquely in God. We all can be misfits if we want to in some shape or form depending on the context. We might feel like we don't belong in a particular church or in a particular room or even in our own families. Sometimes we may not feel like we belong. We can, intent, we can attend the church and we can feel like we're not included. We can be in a work environment and feel like an outsider. 
You might find yourself with a group of people in another country or from another state or province and you feel like an outsider. You may be even treated as an outsider in some cases. And I know that at times, especially in the context of race, we push for a seat at the table because we're seeking inclusion. And now today we hear a lot, a lot about diversity and inclusion. But you know, we can get that seat at the table and still feel unwelcomed or an outsider. We can. We can get to the place where there, there's unity in the body, in, in the physical sense, but there's no chemistry. There is no feeling of belonging because of the isms that separate us. There are so many isms in, among humankind, and, and a lot of the isms have deep historical roots. And honestly, our history can hinder our position because history lives with us, lives in our bosom. And the isms of history never leave us. But we will have to know how to situate ourselves in spite of them. You know, most of us have deep-seated resentments that we carry like generational curses in our lives. And they cannot always be solved by politics and the social dogmas of the day. Not every issue will be, will be solved by truth and reconciliation moments. You know, even our Human Rights Commission can be caught up in biases. We've heard of people who have, who have taken their, their cases to the Human Rights Commission and the outcome may not always be favorable because at the end of the day, there are people who work in these, in these structures, in these departments, who are also people who have their own innate biases. Some people call it systemic racism. And it's real because people are people. And some of us carry these deep issues in us, in our lives, and we, we may not even be aware of them. And some of us will go to our graves with these biases and these judgments and grudges that we have. You know, I remember many years ago, I was working at a long-term care and one of the senior residents who was typically a, a, a very quiet, calm lady, was just shrieking one night and she was just loud and she was cursing and I couldn't understand what happened and I dropped everything. I rushed to her room. And this gentleman was sitting outside of, of her room and she was just screaming hateful things at him. So I, I, I asked him to, to leave the entrance of her room. He was just sitting outside of her room. And I walked into the room and I asked her what, 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 is, what is wrong. And she started telling me about this man, how he's wicked, he's evil. And I discovered that as a, a young woman in the Netherlands, uh, when uh, Germany invaded uh, Netherlands, uh, there were so many devastating um, issues that came out of 
that, you know, World War Two, And uh, she was just, this man was a German man. So I, I went to his room and I, I spoke to him and I said, you know, um, I would advise you don't go near her door. He said, he said, I didn't bother her. I was just wheeling my chair and I stopped at her door. And he started to cry. He said, I don't know why she hates me so much. And I said, well, it has something to do with the war. He said, yes, I was in the army as a teenager, but I never killed anyone. He said, you know, when I went into the war, I had no choice. He said, but my dad told me, my father told me, whenever you point your gun to shoot someone, just when you're ready to pull the trigger, just gently lift the nozzle so that you would miss. He said, I've never killed a living soul. And I believed him. And I said to him, you know, this is really sad because you are both now in your, they were close to 90, both, both uh, residents. But anyway, make a long story short, I was able to bring them together in a very nice and unique way. And they actually, we actually started like a group in the home where they would be like, you know, bringing other people into conversations about the past. And I've met so many seniors who have been troubled. I remember a German lady who did not want to shower. She didn't want a bath. And um, I said to her, that's, you know, your choice. I can give you a sponge bath. You don't need to shower. And she grabbed my hand and she said, thank you so much. And then she started telling me about all the German, all the German women who were raped when the Red Army of Russia invaded Germany, um, again, World War II, we have so many of our seniors that are suffering because of, of history and the things that have happened in their past. And, and I've met many frightened seniors because of the trauma that they have suffered during World War II, you know, uh, we know that there were over a million women who were, who were raped in Germany, and many of them had abortions that killed thousands of them after the, after the war was over. And so some of these women carry a lot of scars. And these scars can affect our self-concept and the way we navigate in society because there are all of these things that make us diverse, even our trauma and the way we respond. Issues we encounter in history are apt to repeat themselves if we ignore history. And so history is important. And that is why when we pause to celebrate black history, it helps us to ponder our history and the ways in which we can move forward and prevent some of the same injustices to reoccur in our lifetime. The idea that this is not my people so I don't need to be concerned is a symptom of a deeper wickedness that lies counter to the Christian faith because we are all our brother's keeper and we should be concerned with the human experience of every race. The early human experience that was depicted in the story of Cain and Abel 
illustrates how God views the human family. Cain kills his brother Abel and he buries his body in the ground. God went looking. I, I believe God knew he had killed him and seen him in the act. I believe God even saw when he buried Cain, Abel, but God wanted to make a point. He could not ignore the injustice. And so the God says, where is your brother? Asked Cain, what have you done? Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your, blother, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. God sees every person who die. In fact, Jesus says, even a sparrow that falls to the ground, God pays attention. And so there's a consequence. There's a consequence and punishment that followed Cain. He was exiled and a mark was put on him. And so, you know, we must realize that God still expects us to care for those who are hurting those whose blood are crying out from the ground. The challenge that comes with diversity is that we have no respect for each other. Humanity is a mess. We have no respect for differences, no appreciation for the varieties and the flavors of life. We have no understanding of the expressions of humankind and that there is beauty in every race on the planet. The colors of every race because they were designed by God. We all want everyone to be and look like what we deem acceptable. We want a type of equality based on social construct and not necessarily based on common sense and on God's design. You know, the ability to live in peace lies beyond society's meaning of acceptance. And there will be no unity shaped by the world in which we live. This idea of true unity and inclusion can only be found in the God in whom we live, move, and have our very being. Can only be found in God. The fact is, you cannot know your true value without hearing what your creator thinks about your design. And you know, when God created man, in fact, when he created the whole universe, he said it was good. It was good. Stamp of approval. I made it and it's good. Which means that we're all inherit, inherently good. Sin came in the way and messed us up. But God created humankind good. You know, I love to create and I love to cook and bake and sew. And sometimes when I'm in a project, I like to take my time because I want the results to be good. 
And I enjoy looking at the result and saying, yes, that is good. And I will work to perfect it. But you know, sometimes in life, we may decide to go a different route, to try something new. You know, the other day I decided I wanted to make some falafel. I am not Middle Eastern, but they looked good. So I, I came across a recipe online and decided that I was going to try it. So I grabbed my ingredients and I am putting the recipe together, you know, Google recipe. But my instincts is telling me that this recipe is not going to work. I typically modify any recipe that I find online or in a cookbook. And for some ridiculous reason, I'm looking at this recipe and I'm thinking there's a missing ingredient. There's, there's got to be something to bind this thing together. No egg, no flour, but she's adding baking soda. And I'm like seeing all these red flags and I'm ignoring them because I'm like, I need to trust this recipe. Maybe I don't know enough about chickpeas and gabanzo beans, how they, maybe there is a binding thing about them. And I ignored my instincts and I followed the recipe. And of course, you can imagine what happened. As soon as these meat, these balls of chickpeas and gabanzo beans hit the hot oil, they just started to disintegrate because there was no binding material. And you know, as I read the comments <laughs> that followed the recipe, I felt somewhat relieved because I was not the only one who checked my judgment out in the kitchen that day. Other people were complaining that they followed the recipe and it was a disaster. But this is how the false narratives around us can sometimes inform us, even when our instincts are telling us, this is wrong, this is wrong, I need to look into this more, I should address this. So many people read things on the internet and believe them. And the recipe is just an example of how we can trust things we see on the internet or hear in social media. And then we get into the same habit of labeling people and making judgments about people, even when deep inside of us, we know that these things are biased and skewed and there's a lack of knowledge. We might even be tempted to accept the designations and values that, are, that others put even on us. It doesn't matter the package you are in. You are created in the image of God, the Mago Dei. And I believe that all of us instinctively know that we are fundamentally special that we are good and important to God. You know, when the indigenous peoples of the Americas and the slaves were made to feel and be informed that they're not fully human, there was something inside of them 
that even after hundreds of years of being treated as being inhuman or half human, that they knew within them that they were good people, that they didn't deserve the treatment that they were given. You know, a lot of, uh, of our people, black people, we say that the white men used the Bible to Christianize us so they could oppress us. But you know, the slaveholders, they did not want the, the, the slaves to know about this Jesus and this God of the, of the Bible. Because if they read the scripture, they would know that they were created in the image of God. They would also know that they serve a God who's a deliverer. And so they would, they would actually delete sections of the Bible so that the slaves would not know about the real God and who God is. Because fundamentally, the word of God is the truth that tells us who we are and our worth and our value. And so we know that we fight for justice because we know what we deserve. And this is what had happened to the slaves or we would have still been enslaved today. The God connection in our soul draws us into a place where instinctively we know that the recipe we have been given in this world is wrong. And we need to break away from following it because we know that the outcome will not be good. We know how we are treated. And we know when we're not treated right. You may be in a relationship right now and you know that you're not in the right place. You may be putting up with some kind of abuse on the job and you know that it's wrong. We know when we're not being treated as if we are created in God's image. But instead of changing the narrative, we just go along with it and in the process we diminish who we are. And I just want to encourage somebody today and say to them, don't sell yourself short. You are being created for good. God's image is in you. Don't allow others to deride you. It doesn't matter what you look like, what package you're in. You were created in the image of God. God made you for purpose. Amen? Deep down, you know that you're special. And that is the reason you're not happy with your life. You were created by the master designer for purpose, for more, for much more. Amen? And we ought to walk in the joy of the Lord and in the fullness of God. One of my favorite poems, and I actually preached a whole sermon on it once, Deserata. Deserata means things wanted or needed. This is the title of the poem by Max Ehrman, that famous Germanic Indian. It is a, there's a, 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 a verse in the poem that says, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. You are a child of the universe. You have a right to be here. What if you come into every space, at every task, 
in every life journey and situation with this meaning to your life. You would not need acceptance or permission to be all you were created to be because you know who you are. You know, David in the book of Psalms felt that this was praiseworthy. And he says in 139 and 14, I praise you. I praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow. What if you get up every morning and just give God praise? Because you know that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He goes on to say, wonderful are your works. Wow, that's like, God, man, you're good. Your work is good. Look at what you've created. You've created me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And he affirms that by saying, I know that very well. I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that you, God, are a wonderful worker. David knows his worth and God deserves the credit. Amen. If we just start there, and this is not all about making, picking up yourself. This is simply saying that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Man, if you did anatomy and physiology, you would agree with David. We are amazing. Our, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, everything about us is good and amazing and God deserves the credit. Amen? When we hate ourselves, it's like saying, God, you made a mistake. You didn't do me right. <laughs> but we know that God does everything perfect because he's God. He knew that when God put him and, and, and us together, that the recipe worked. It's fail proof. God never fails. God is the master designer and humanity is God's masterpiece. All of us in our different packaging are equal in our designer's eyes because we're all in the image of God. Amen. The apostle Peter had a rude awakening. In fact, when he had this vision in the book of Acts, he was in a place called Joppa. He was hungry and in his hunger, he fell into a trance. Maybe his blood sugar was low. We don't know. And in this trance, he saw this sheet with all kinds of hoofed animals and all the animals that he's not supposed to eat as a Jew. And in the vision, he hears this voice saying, Peter, get up and kill and eat. He's like three times, no, I can't eat anything that's unclean. And then suddenly the voice rebuked Peter, telling him not to call anything that God made unclean. This was in preparation for a conversation that Peter was going to have with some Gentiles. Shortly thereafter, some men came from Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile Italian centurion. And we know the story in Acts 10. Peter goes down to Cornelius' home. There are all of these Gentile people. They welcomed him. He preached to them. The Holy Spirit came down on them. 
and there was a powerful ministry taking place in Cornelius' home to the point that Peter made this exclamation in Acts 10.34, I truly understand now that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, to God. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. This is Peter's exclamation. Hey, listen, if you are in a space where you don't feel accepted, you just need to let people know that God favors you and that God accepts you and God accepts them. Amen? Peter received flack later on from his fellow Christians in Jerusalem when they heard that he had stayed at Cornelius' house, he had ate with this Gentile man and his family. They still had a carnal mindset. Peter, you know, Peter may have been tempted on other occasions to forget that this experience that he had at Cornelius' home, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you're a true believer, even when you make a mistake and you, you become a little racist and you don't even know it, God is able to restore those things in us and change our attitudes and change our behavior as we continue to understand and grow in God. And even when we understand our own uniquenesses, and that we are all specially designed by God. That we would not welcome exploitation for ourselves. It is easy for us not to exploit and abuse others. When we understand that we are created in God's image and that we're special, it is. It, it will be difficult for us to treat other people with indignity. That is why you know that 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 Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." And as one of my friends used to say, "If you don't love yourself, you cannot love your neighbor equally." It all. It 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 begins with me loving myself. These are the the the, the diverse markers in our lives. That when we come to grips with the fact that we're unique and special, then it makes us understand that every other person is unique and special. We live in a diverse world. And anything that makes us different is part of diversity. It could be age, it could be gender, class, race, and the list can go on and on. But there are some ways that we become uncomfortable with our uniqueness. And in order to fit into the mainstream culture, or even to ward off abuse, we may be tempted to adopt a false narrative of ourselves and change things about ourselves in order to feel accepted. And listen, sometimes it may be necessary. You know, I was looking at a documentary called In Their Own Voice on City TV a few days ago, and it included a piece about uh, a sickle cell woman who was speaking, you know, her story. 
And sickle cell sufferers tend to be marginalized because they come to the hospital with need for a lot of medications, uh, especially narcotics. And she says every time she visits the hospital, she, she faced attitudes, racist attitudes. And, and this woman said, in, in that segment, she says when she's going to the hospital, she goes through the extra mile of preparing herself, making sure she puts lots of makeup and dress in a kind of way that would not make people look down on her or even look the part of a drug seeker. And you know, this, this, this is a sad reality. And in her case, a necessary task. Because this is how sometimes diversity can have a negative and even a life-threatening impact on our lives. Another person may be able to walk into the hospital in pain and don't have to worry about label, being labeled. But when you're going to the hospital a dozen times a year, people begin to judge you. Chronic illnesses can cause a lot of judgment. And, and that's another diverse population, people who suffer chronic illnesses. Diversity should not be something that we celebrate in our society. I'm sorry, I should say that we celebrate in our society. But unfortunately, we've become disconnected from the reality that we are all created equally in the image of God. And instead, we live in fear and in contempt of each other. We look down on those who are different. We look down on people who are not where we think they ought to be. We look down on those who were born in a different country or what we hold to be the ideal, whatever that might be. The thing is that we have no authority on what is beautiful or handsome or acceptable, favorable or presentable. We have no God-given rights to elevate ourselves above any other human being if we understand Genesis 1 and 26 when God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. If we look down on our brother, we're looking down on God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God is saying, I'm creating man in my image and I'm giving him authority and dominion over this earth. So God created humankind in his image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them with purpose, with a job, with a task. Last week, I challenged you to put first things first. And I still stand by that encouragement today that when we put God and God's kingdom first, we are modeling what Jesus himself practiced and what he asks of his disciples of all times. God, church, family, in a culture driven in this bourgeois class mentality, truth be told, most of us don't have time for God and the church.
And if we do, we complain about the cost and we give the leftovers of our schedule, our time, our resources to the mission of God. God gets what's left. We are only involved to a great extent with the things that we deem beneficial to us, self-serving us. What's in it for me is an unspoken mantra in a self-serving culture. In our drive for relevance, we mistakenly fight in the public square for recognition and significance, hoping the right person or people will notice us and how great we are. We're more concerned with adding another title to our resume than actually serve God with the title. Here's the truth of what Jesus taught his followers in this section of what has become known as the Beatitudes. Matthew 5 and 11. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is fundamental to our understanding that we will suffer for the sake of the cross of Christ. However, we are not the first and we won't be the last. And in the midst of it, we can rejoice and be glad because this is not it. This is not it. What this world offers is not it. Could you tell me one thing that this world has to offer that is able to satisfy your soul. One thing. One thing this world has to offer that you can take with you into eternity. Can you name that one thing that can ultimately reward you for the service you render to God or humanity? There is none. I believe that all the temporary happiness that this world offers leaves continuous wanting. We want more. We want to hear more. We want to see more. We chase after things that we believe will bring us peace and happiness only to realize that there is someone else ahead of us in the line. You know, in my 40 years of nursing, I have an ache to say to folks, there is more to life than accumulation of stuff, than boasting about our accomplishments. There's more to life about looks and clothes and even righteousness, how we think about ourselves. There is more. You know, <laughs> the sad reality is that all the stuff we're accumulating in our homes and in our, in our closets, one of these days, somebody's going to pack those in a bag and some of, it, some of it is going to go in the garbage. Some of it may end up in a consignment store and they will be calling got junk for your stuff. I'm telling you. <laughs> 
not it. The Apostle Paul encountered some competition among religious circles of his day. And even in, in Christianity, people are comparing you with other pastors and other pastors are comparing. It don't matter. Paul says, you know what? I am so emotional right now. I'm tearing up. This is what Paul is saying. In a very emotional letter to the Philippians, he says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you having us. He wasn't talking about fame and popularity. He was talking about serving God in the midst of persecution that you even end up in jail. Imitate me in my suffering, just as I imitate Christ in his suffering. He says, for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told them of now I tell you, even in tears, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It is from there that we are expecting a savior, Christ the Lord. Amen. Will you agree with me today that our citizenship is not in this world? but our citizenship is with Christ. Amen. He went on to say that in the end, Christ will transform our body of humiliation in verse 21, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that enables him to make all things subject to himself. Amen. God created all things and all of us are subjected to God. And one day God is going to transform our humiliated body if we suffer for him and it's going to transform it into the body of his glory. Oh, I can't wait to see what heaven is like. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with my messed up, weary, fibromyalgic, diabetic, hypertensive body. Amen. He's going to give me and you a glorious body. I can't wait to see what God is going to do with these bodies. The bodies of billions who have been martyred, slain, decapitated, raped, cut asunder, and crucified upside down like their Savior. Bodies of those who were slaughtered while they sang songs to God. Bodies of those dragged through the streets and hanged from trees. God has a redemption plan. God's going to restore your dignity no matter what you're going through right now god is going to is going to give you a glorious body our task is to remain focused on god's mission and to be faithful and obedient to the call no matter what knowing that he will transform our body of humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that enables him to make all things subject 
subject to himself. Praise the Lord. What an amazing reward system. What an amazing plan of redemption. The unfathomable notion that we mere mortals will put on the uncorrupted glory of God calls for full surrender and engagement in the business of God. Praise the Lord. It'll be worth it after all. No wonder the early church gave up everything to follow God because they understood the recipe. Amen. And as we seek to be recognized and accepted in a society where we may feel left behind, I would like to encourage you to think now beyond yourself and to be informed that the same God who loves you and created you in his image, in the Imago Day, this same God, oh yes, the same God and no other person is your, is your keeper. It is in him you live and move and have your being. Your brother, your sister may not be impressed with you right now, but you know what? You're God's creation. Amen. And as one songwriter says, God does not create junk. Amen. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he appealed to to them. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Amen. God has a plan for you. Our job is just to surrender to God because you see, the true mark of a Christian is genuine love. Paul in the same chapter says in, in verse 9, let your your love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope and be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Amen. This is diversity. This is unity in diversity. Bless, 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 bless. Just get up in the morning and bless people. Even the ones who persecute you, bless them. Even the one who, who curse you, bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. But take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, hallelujah, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you heap 
coals of burning coals upon their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the true mark of the church, saints. This is the true mark of the church. Those who understand what it means to be a loving and united community of faith, where all the isms cannot diminish anyone. When we see each other as brothers and sisters, we will experience unity in diversity. The thing is this, you know, I've always heard folks say in the past, we had better learn to esteem and love each other on earth because we will have to put up with each other in eternity. Hallelujah. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7 and 9, we get a bird's eye view from John's vision. He says, and after this I looked, and there I saw a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Hey, we all dress the same, robes in white with palm branches in their hand. That's a scene from heaven, from what it's going to be like when the roll is called up yonder. That's you in that number. If you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, if, if you have received Christ as your Savior. You see, Christ came to fulfill Genesis chapter 1, to restore the image of God on each person who now become a new creation. Are you a God's new creation? If not, why not? Salvation is available for you. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Jesus came to restore the image of God on us by his blood in new creation. That is the blood that flowed from Calvary today for our sins. And aren't we so glad that it doesn't matter how sin has marred the image. The image bearer, the image giver sent his son, sent Christ Jesus to restore the image back to what God created us to be. We may all come from different colors and regions across the world, but we're all created by the one same God who lives and move and have his being in us. I pray today for you that you would give God full control of your life, that you would live for him, that your life will give meaning to the world because of the image of God that resides in you. I pray if you have not accepted him as your savior that you would do so so that you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind and begin to think on the image of God that has been given to you for his good and for his purpose. May God bless you today and may you be renewed 
in the image of God today. May God bless you. May you be loved. May you love as you are loved. I pray this over us today. In Jesus' mighty name with thanksgiving. Amen and amen. We're going to close with the black anthem as they call it. Lift every voice and sing. I'll see you next week. Next week we start a new series called Rooted. You don't want to miss that. God bless you.